0: I invite you to turn in your Bible this morning to Luke chapter twenty-one. Luke chapter twenty-one, just to remind you where we are in uh, the context. Jesus is approaching the cross. Uh, these words are probably spoken on a Wednesday, uh, possibly Thursday morning, but most likely Wednesday when the uh, Jesus and the disciples were there at the temple. Jesus has just pointed out the wonderful uh, gift of a woman who gave as little as you can possibly give, uh, two little lepta. And um, so we're going to see again this morning that Jesus notices things that everybody else misses, and um, he, just, he just looks at the world differently. Uh, this is uh, just two days then before the cross, and these are some of the, this, this is some of the final teaching that Jesus uh, will have for his disciples, particularly related to uh, the coming destruction of the temple and of Jerusalem. Let's give our attention to Luke chapter 21. We're going to begin reading at verse 5, and we'll read through verse 28. Let's give our attention to God's Word. And while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said, as for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And they asked him, teacher, when will these things be? For there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled." Because your redemption is drawing near. Let's ask the Lord to bless his word. Lord Jesus, we thank you for these words and ask Lord now your blessing by the Spirit uh, that we could hear you speaking uh, in clear tones, reminding us of who you are and what you've accomplished for us and, and what is coming to this world. So Lord, I pray that we would be attentive now in Jesus' name, amen. Are you ready for the end of life uh, as you know it? That's what Jesus is, is talking about in uh, this text as he speaks to his disciples. The end of the world as they know it. Uh, there's a lot of talk about uh, doomsday scenarios. If you just get online and uh, would type in uh, preppers or prepping, you'll you'll find that there's a growing uh, concern. Uh, And a growing movement in a sense of people who are um, thinking about some of the things that possibly could happen, devastating things like nuclear war or electromagnetic pulse which would um, truly end the life as we know it, Uh, maybe a deep financial uh, crisis and uh, they're making preparations. Well, Jesus is calling us to make preparations um, as we think about the fact that uh, this world is is not just going to go on and on and on. There's going to be Judgment Day, and, and one of the evidences is the specific judgment that falls upon Jerusalem. Uh, Jesus, in this text that we've read this morning, is talking specifically to his disciples about a specific historical event, the, uh, the desolation of the temple, the deconsecration of the temple, and the destruction of Jerusalem, as, uh, as God makes evident what happened on the cross. When Jesus Christ died, the, uh, the sacrificial system is ended, and God now in judgment is going to let the world know that Israel is no longer uh, his people, uh, that the Mosaic Covenant has has ended, and uh, that uh, the gospel now is going to the Gentiles, and God's nation is made up of spiritual children of Abraham, those who believe in Jesus Christ and trust in Christ for their righteousness. There are lessons here that Jesus has for his disciples And Jesus uh, just speaks these things very clearly, don't be led astray, don't be afraid, Uh, seize the evangelistic opportunities afforded you and lift up your head because redemption is drawing nigh. As we said, Jesus is at the temple with the disciples and Jesus sees things differently. People like us tend to be amazed by amazing things, things that are big, things that are impressive. And the temple was big and impressive. We're told that the disciples, uh, just after Jesus has pointed out the significance, eternal significance in God's eyes of the smallest possible gift to to Lepta, the disciples say, yeah, yeah, that's nice, Jesus, but look at this temple. Look at the stones. They're huge. This is magnificent. They see the big things, uh, Mark 13, 1, as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. They are in awe of the temple. And it was an awe-inspiring uh, building. Uh, King Herod had sort of made it his, uh, sort of the thing that he was going to make his name by, uh, by making the temple one of the wonders of the world. And so there had been a long renovation proce- uh, process taking place. Josephus says the whole of the outer works of the temple was in the highest degree worthy of admiration. This is a historian from that age. Um, It was completely covered with gold plates, which when the sun was shining on them, which in that part of the world would be nearly every day, uh, glittered so dazzlingly that they blinded the eyes of the beholder not less than when one gazed at the sun. Uh, we know from the uh, some of the stones that were there. They're, they're, you can still go to Jerusalem and and see the foundation stones. Some are forty five feet long, thirteen feet wide, nine feet high. Uh, they're massive, massive stones, and and the disciples are amazed, and and they they uh, Jesus doesn't seem to be that impressed, and so the disciples are saying, "Lord, look at this place. It's it's incredible. It's magnificent." But you see where they saw a majestic building that seemed designed to last a 1,000 years, Jesus saw an old, worn-out relic, religious relic, that was going to be torn down stone by stone in just a few decades. And that's what he tells them. As for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Now, it's hard for us to grasp what a shocking statement that would be to his disciples. It seems completely impossible that that would be true. It would be like me telling you that by next summer, there will be no Lake Michigan. It won't exist. That would be hard to believe, not just because of the presence of Lake Michigan, the sheer volume of it, but it would... It would be hard to believe because the loss of such a thing would radically change everything about life in West Michigan, or many things. It would change our weather patterns, it would change our economy, and it would be a devastating blow to our pride, sort of our West Michigan local pride. We have Lake Michigan. If that disappears, we're just like Iowa. (laughs) You've been to Iowa, I can tell. Now magnify that shock tenfold for the disciples. The temple is, well, it's it's the center of their life. These are Jewish men. This is God's house. The temple stands as irrefutable proof that they, the Jews, the descendants of Abraham, are God's people, and the living God is their God. And so for Jesus to say that the temple is going to be destroyed so fundamentally, well, that, that's, that's judgment. That's the judgment of God. That's the end of the Jewish life as they knew it. Well, it's interesting. The disciples don't challenge him on this. They, they can see in his eyes and in his voice he means exactly what he says, and so they say simply, when? When is this going to happen? And Jesus then uh, gives his disciples very specific uh, lessons on what's going to happen and what they are to do and what they are not to do. Now as we read this, we just need to remember that um, Jesus is talking very specifically to his disciples about a specific historic event. The, the you here that Jesus uses, and he uses it a lot, you, 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 uh, that's, that's not you in the pew, that's, that's the disciples. However, we're going to find that there are clearly lessons here for us as well. This is God's word for us today. But let's look look at Jesus' words, his lessons for his disciples. First of all, uh, do not be deceived. Verse 8, he said, see that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. Times of crisis are um, ripe for deception and manipulation. Uh, when people are afraid, uh, they're, they seem willing to believe almost anything, and unfortunately teachers are there ready to tell them uh, just about anything. Uh, Reichen says that Jesus knew that talking about the end of the world always seems to bring out the crazy in some people. And, does, and you, church history is, is rife with just that, that you have examples uh, untold of, of charlatans and false teachers, particularly in times when there's, when there's unease, when world events are, are making people think maybe this is the end. And men will come along either saying that they are the Christ... Or that they're a unique, gifted messenger who has insights that no one has ever really seen before, uh, that the end is near, that the time is at hand. Harold Camping of Family Radio Infamy was just the most recent tragic example of someone who went where Scripture did not go and where a man should not go, misleading thousands of Reformed Christians, some to their eternal loss. This is serious stuff. Jesus says, "Don't go after them when someone comes and says, "The time is at hand. Don't go after them. Don't be led astray. God's given you everything you need by His spirit, and in His word, you don't need some uniquely gifted, novel um, teacher to come along who, who is revealing things you've never seen before. You know. I'll have conversations from time to time with someone who's um, either read a book or gone to some uh, pro- prophecy conference where, you know, this, this man just laid it out, you know, book of Revelation, and, and this means that, and that means that, and, he's, and he's, this guy's linking current events to biblical data, and I just never saw that before. That's because it's not there. People are gifted at, right, and you just, you can see this all through the history of the church, where people will confidently assert that, that this, uh, what, what the Bible says here in Revelation, whatever, means X. And then, of course, 100 years later, X doesn't exist anymore. So don't be led astray. You got everything you need in the Word of God, you got everything you need by the Spirit. Don't be led astray. Secondly, don't be terrified. When you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified. These things must first take place. Here's Jesus, the Lord of history, saying, This is when everything seems to be falling apart, uh, it's not falling apart. This is, this is how it's supposed to work, this is how it, it's going to happen. The Lord of history is still on a throne, and, and he's not just frantically trying to keep this thing together, he is sovereignly dismantling things. It's okay. He knows what he's doing, so don't panic. But he says the end will not be at once, so you need you need to be ready. And there are certain several things here that Jesus says you need to be ready. Be ready for trouble. One of the ways that an airline a pilot um, tries to keep flyers calm when there's going to be turbulence is he tells them uh, there's going to be turbulence. Uh, the stewardess is going to come through the cabin. They're going to take your drinks, and we want you to buckle up. and And um, it's just going to get a little rough here. And then, sure enough, ten minutes later, it gets a little rough. But you're thinking, "Well, that's what the that's what he said was going to happen." That's helpful. I remember flying one time with a, with a. Um, a man who flew a great deal, we were flying uh, southwest in 737, and this man uh, told me that he had uh, done some extensive research on the Boeing 737, it's one of the safest a- airplanes in the sky, uh, and, and uh, the way that it's been designed, the forces that it can handle, the, the, uh, the amount of power that's available. He says, this thing is it's like a fighter jet, uh, and, and it was fascinating, it was very encouraging. About a year later, we were flying into St. Louis, huge thunderclouds, and it was rough. And we're bouncing around. And the guy next to me, uh, just sweating, perspiration, and he's gripping the sides of, of, his, of his chair. And I, so, and I got to share with him the good news about the Boeing 737. <laughs> we're fine. It was sort of even enjoyable. Uh, it's just a different perspective. Well, Jesus says there's going to be turbulence. Turbulence. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There's going to be earthquakes, and in various places, famines and pestilences, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. And historians tell us all of those things happened just as Jesus said. There were wars, kingdom rising against nation, but specifically the Jewish insurrection that led to the destruction of Jerusalem. There were great earthquakes in Phrygia in 61 AD, another one in Pompeii two years later. There was a comet, a comet, a comet clearly visible to the naked eye. Well, in those days, when something funny was going on in the heavens, people were convinced that was a message, an ominous message. And so the talk on the street would be the, the portent, the ominous portent of those strange lights that had been appearing in the heavens. And so you could just sense this would be a period of distress, anxiety, fear. Jesus said, um, yeah, that's, that's what I said was going to happen. So don't panic. Don't be afraid. That's that's how it's going to unfold. And he says further, they need to be ready for persecution. Verse 12, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisoners, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This is like the trailer for the movie called The Book of Acts. Because everything that Jesus says would happen here is just, you get the story, the whole story, in the book of Acts. It's exactly what happened. They're brought uh, before the Sanhedrin, the apostles are. They're thrown into prison. Paul is brought before Felix and Agrippa and eventually before um, Caesar. Uh, This is exactly what God said, Jesus said would happen. And it's going to get worse. Uh, They would be betrayed even by family members. Verse 16: You will be de- delivered up even by parents. Think of that—brothers, and relatives, and friends. And some of you they will put to death. Think of how hard that's going to be when your when your mom or your dad goes to the authorities and. And tells them that you are a follower of the way. And that means you get thrown into prison. And and you get whipped and beaten. And and maybe uh, your life is taken. Or the life of a loved one. And And it was your family member. Your friend. That could be devastating to your faith. How could God allow such a fundamental betrayal? Well, Jesus said... It's going to happen. It's not an accident. It's not just something unfortunate that there's nothing can be done about it. Um, We're following in the path of Christ who was betrayed by his very best, right, disciples. Peter swore he never knew him. One of his own betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. When it's happening, the good news is it's not about you. That's comforting. It's about Jesus. Paul, remember what Paul says that he want. I want to know Christ, and then the strange thing he says, and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering. Well, it's strange unless you've been through it, and then you and then you've had the experience of of suffering in faith and knowing that somehow, even if it's if it's just this. A, a, a serious illness or, or some, some great betrayal or loss in your life, that as we suffer in faith, we are identified with Christ in a unique way as we, as we live in faith and we walk this road that he's called us to and he knows our suffering and we, we have fellowship with him. But then Jesus says this amazing thing. He says, some of you, some of you they're going to put to death, but not a hair of your head will perish. Your whole body will die, but your hair is going to be fine. For some of you, that's really good news. Um, What is he saying? Well, I mean, losing a hair is the most inconsequential thing that can happen to you physically. You lose hundreds of them a day, you don't even know it. So why does Jesus mention that? Well, what he's saying, obviously, is that even when you're put to death, you will suffer less real harm than losing a hair from your head. That's how little harm there will be real harm in dying for Jesus. There will be no harm at all. To live as Christ, to die is gain. So dying for Christ is nothing but it's nothing but glory. As hard as that might be to believe, it's true. And then he says another amazing thing. Be ready for witness. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. When when most people think about persecution, we think about pain, sorrow, suffering, loss, possible death, Jesus sees opportunity. This will be your opportunity to witness. This is your chance. To, to do the thing you want to do, to testify to, to, to the glory of God and the, and the truth of the gospel. And I will give you what you need to say. You don't need to worry about anything. Settle it in your minds, verse 14. Not to meditate how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. And that's again what you see happening. When Stephen is being persecuted and, and being stoned, nobody can contradict his message, and, and so they just have to try stop him. They can't contradict him. Peter and, and the others before the Sanhedrin, they can't contradict them. Paul, uh, you can't contradict him. He's telling the truth, and it's evident he's telling the truth. Well, in the same way, friends, the, suffering, uh, the testimony of a suffering church is a, is a testimony that the world cannot contradict it can't withstand. History has shown that when the church is being persecuted, Tertullian, as Tertullian says, that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. I was reading an article just this past week um, about uh, the Coptic Christians in Egypt who are being attacked, um, churches being bombed, particularly over the Easter season. And the title of the article said, Millions of Muslims throughout Egypt in shock as Coptic Christians publicly forgive their Muslim tormentors. And the article reads like this In spite of all the slaughter, the Coptic Christians have come out and been publicly forgiving their Muslim tormentors. This has sent shockwaves throughout millions of Muslims in Egypt who are amazed that the Christians still forgive in spite of all that's happened to them. And then the the, the author talks about a television, the, the most popular talk show on television in Egypt uh, Amir Adib is the host, and they had a person on site at the home of a woman who, uh, whose husband was was killed by a terrorist as he was guarding the church. So Amir Adib, perhaps the most prominent talk show host in Egypt, Adib was watching a colleague in a simple home in Alexandria speak with the widow of Nassim Fahim, the guard at St. Mark's Cathedral in the seaside Mediterranean city. On Palm Sunday, the, this... Uh, Guard had directed a suicide bomber through a perimeter metal detector where the terrorist detonated. Likely the first to die in the blast, Fahim saved the lives of dozens inside the church. I'm not angry at the one who did this, said his wife, uh, her children by her side. I'm telling him, may God forgive you, and we also forgive you. Believe me, we forgive you. You put my husband in a place I couldn't have dreamed of. Stunned, Adib stammered, How great is this forgiveness you have? His voice cracked. If it were my father, I could never say this. But this is their faith and religious conviction. And then silence as Adib struggled to find words. Twelve seconds of silence is an awkward eternity on television. Like twelve seconds. Leaning forward, he finally exclaimed, The cops of Egypt are made of steel. Millions marveled with him across the airwaves of Egypt. and There are testimonies of thousands of Muslims coming to faith in Jesus Christ as the church Christians are being persecuted and and the world is is able to see how Christians respond to that persecution and, and it exposes the lies that they've believed. It's exactly what Jesus has promised. And so he says, be ready to witness in times of trouble and persecution. But notice then in verse 20 to 24, he also tells them, be ready to flee. When you see the armies surrounding Jerusalem, know that its desolation is near. And so, and so uh, if you're out in the country, don't come to Jerusalem for protection. That's what would happen because the cities were fortified. So when armies invaded, the, the people living out in the countryside would make their way to the city to be protected by the walls. Jesus says, don't do it. And if you're in this city, leave, get out, because this city is is under the judgment of God. And all this, of course, began to happen in 66 AD. Following another Jewish uprising, the Roman emperor finally had enough, sent his, his army, and it is a matter of historical record that the Christians listened to the words of Jesus. They didn't go into the city, and those who were in the city made their way out, and and they went to the hills. They fled to a a town called Pella. If you've ever wondered where Pella, Iowa got its name, uh, the Dutch who left the persecution of the Netherlands to come here to the United States chose that name specifically in reference to what the Christians did here. Josephus, an historian uh, again of the time, recounts the incredible suffering uh, as, as God now brought his justice and vengeance on Jerusalem, a million, he, he estimates a million Jews died, either by starvation or by the sword, and the rest were taken into captivity. It was complete, utter decimation. It was, it was devastating and final. Uh, they, they were no longer his people. Jesus says they will fall by the edge of the sword and let be, be led captive among the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And that's still the case today. If you, if you go where the temple stood, you see there a huge Muslim mosque. And there's a little wall called the Wailing Wall. The only remembrance left to what they had been. And one of the sobering realities of the last 2,000 years is that God's judgment has stood. The temple has never been rebuilt. The sacrifice has never reinstated. Now, as I said, Jesus is talking here to his disciples. What does this text have to say to us? Do we just say, well, that that was for them and there's nothing here for us? Well, obviously not. Luke, Luke is writing for Gentile Christians. He's writing for the Gentile world. Uh, and, and Luke then includes the fact that, that there is a Gentile age, the time of the Gentiles, and, and friends, we're the Gentiles. Uh, Paul talks in Romans chapter 11, I believe, where where he reminds us that we have come under this special favor and grace of God, but if he could cut off the natural branch, the Jews, uh, then then we need to to lay hold of the the privilege and grace that is ours, uh, not take it lightly because if he can cut off the natural branch, he can cut off the grafted branch. You see, Israel was destroyed because they refused to, to receive Christ, to, to respond in faith and obedience to Christ, and so they came under the, the judgment of God, and, and we should not just assume that since this is the age of the Gentiles, that, um, that there's no judgment if we refuse Christ. There, there is judgment if you refuse Christ. It doesn't matter how, what your religious resume might look like. And maybe you have a religious resume that goes back hundreds and hundreds of years. It just it doesn't matter. What will you do with Jesus? That's the thing that matters. And this is a, rea- this is a reminder then of the reality of, of a day of judgment. We're going to see this a little more, Lord willing, next week. But, but there is such a thing, and Jesus talks about it routinely. And, and, and the fall and desolation of Jerusalem ought to be a, a, just a note to us that if this is what it looks like when God judges one city, what will it look like when he judges the whole world? When he comes on that last great day. And so we're to be awake in our day. And, and, and noting this world is not just going to keep on plowing along. Reichen says, every time there's a disaster like the fall of Jerusalem, people start thinking it's the end of the world. That's what we're supposed to think. When you see wars and and, uh, rumors of wars and famines and pestilences and earthquakes and tsunamis and hurricanes and tornadoes uh, and and, uh, terrorist attacks, we're supposed to think this, this world is going to end. It's going to end. Everything, every one of those things that happens is a reminder to us that one day, Jesus Christ is coming. There's there's a judgment day coming. But, Jesus says in verse 28, wonderfully, when these things begin to take place, straighten up. Raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. That's the glory of being a Christian. When other people are shrinking down and, and, and uh, being burdened by despair, Jesus says, get your shoulders back. Get your head up. We're getting close. Your redemption is drawing near. This is good stuff. As awful as it might be, this is, these are just the birth of a new heaven and a new earth. Get your head up. Your redemption is drawing nigh. These are the the signs that one day we're going to be soon thoroughly freed. Reichen says, soon there will be no more death or crying or pain. Soon we will see Jesus himself. Soon we will see his beauty. Soon we will receive our own perfect resurrection bodies. Soon we will be reunited with the saints we love, joining the worship of heaven. Soon we will be free from sin. Man, I hope that's good news to you. Soon we will enter glory that will never end. Brothers and sisters, our redemption is drawing nigh. That's what Jesus promises. As you trust in him, as you believe in him, as you wait for him Tonight we're going to be looking at Psalm 33. Uh, we wait for the Lord. That's what we do. And as we wait, we sing. That's Psalm 33. Brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ is telling us what's going to happen. He's telling us not to be afraid, not to be led astray, telling us to be ready for persecution, telling us to be ready for trouble, but be ready to witness. But lift up your head your redemption is drawing nigh. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you that you came, and thank you that you're coming again. And now, Lord, as we come to your table, thank you that you give us a visible evidence of that reality. That this world is in the hand of a sovereign God, a sovereign, loving Lord Jesus, who, who purchased us with his own body and blood, and that just as certain as we see the bread and the wine, we can be so certain that, Jesus, you are coming again. You said, do this until I come again, and that until stands until it's fulfilled. Father, I pray that you would apply the word that we've heard to our hearts, and now, Lord, the sacrament, do the same that we would believe, that we would stand, we would be able to lift our heads in the confidence that our redemption is drawing nigh. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'd like to ask the elders to come forward. I think we often uh, uh, maybe are a little vague about what actually we're doing here at the Lord's table. I'd like just to take a moment, uh, just to link this to the text. Uh, You see, everything that the Jews lost in their unbelief, uh, we have gained by faith in Jesus Christ, all by the work of His Holy Spirit, all a gift that we don't deserve. And yet, uh, all the realities of being the covenant people of God, the wonder of that, this this is a covenant meal. Like the Passover was for Israel, reminding them that they were God's people and he was their God. This is the fulfilled Passover as God reminds us of who he is and who we are. Uh, This is the the sacrifice of Jesus Christ uh, portrayed again for us. The once for all sacrifice. The end of the temple, uh, the, the temple was ended because there was now a high priest who offered a better sacrifice. A once for all sacrifice that's able to take care of all sin. And this morning we come and we remember And celebrate that sacrifice.